Good evening. Hello. Um, so while I try and reattach this to my belt, which is not working very well, this is the main reason I got married, was so that I wouldn't have to do this kind of thing for myself. And she sat at the back of the church laughing at me. So uh, we will... There we go. There we go. Okay, uh, let's start with a prayer, shall we? Uh, Lord, we thank and praise you for your word. Reveal it afresh to us tonight, we pray. Amen. Uh, as Will said, uh, my name is Matt Morland. Uh, my wife, Rebecca, and I have been part of Trinity now since last October, having moved up from Berkshire. Now, one of my uh, slightly more unusual jobs is as a dictionary pronunciation editor. Very odd kind of job to do. Games like Call My Bluff and Absolute Boulder Dash really float my boat. So, we're going to play a quick game. Very quick, I promise. Um, Adam, I'm, I'm, he's, he's dreading what I'm asking for this. So, Adam, could we please have the word on the... Uh, okay, there we go. So the word for tonight is praise. Okay, which of the following three means praise? So let's have the first one, please, Adam. Yes, to, to make music in celebration. Is that a definition of praise? The second one, to revere or worship with extended hands. Or the third one, to shout, boast, or rave. Quick conflab with the person next to you. Uh, what do you think? Uh, a, B, or C, to make music in celebration. Uh, which of these means uh, is, is a definition for praise? Hands up for A. Hands up for B. Hands up for C. Okay, trick question. Uh, <laughs> trick question. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, It is a bit of a trick question because there are at least seven different Hebrew words which are translated in the Bible, and I'm I'm looking at the back and I'm seeing a couple of people who might have already got this, that there are at least seven different Hebrew words which in the English translations of the Bible are sometimes translated as the word praise. There are lots of very subtle distinctions, and these are the definitions of, of just three of them. Tonight we're focusing on a psalm that gives great insight into just a couple of types of meanings of praise. We're going to look at what these types of praise are, uh, who should do them, and why. And we're looking at the smallest chapter of the Bible. I did feel quite bad for for Pete. He waits ages uh, on his time for the rotor to do the reading, and I come along and give him two verses. Um, Not probably the, the, the way to ingratiate myself particularly well. We're looking at the smallest chapter of the Bible, Psalm 117. Please do keep that open from earlier. Small things are really good. I love small things. My wife's birthday is coming up on Tuesday. She will find out that small things are really good. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in the memoirs of Sherlock Holmes declared, it has long been an axiom of mine that these little things are infinitely the most important. Now, I don't know about the most important, but there's a lot of really good stuff packed into these two little verses smack in the middle of the Bible. As Bible trivia goes, Psalm 117 is a bit of a gem. It is the middle chapter of the Bible. There's 595 chapters either side of it. And the shortest, uh, it is the shortest chapter at just two verses. It's 29 words in the NIV. In the original Hebrew, it's just 17. And right up front, this verse, these, these two verses give you the theme. Praise. Now, when we talk about praising someone, it's generally about showing them some kind of warm approval, commending them, acknowledging, drawing people's attention to something or someone that's worth really bigging up. 
think we've been doing this a lot with the Olympics. We've been, today, I was quite amazed. I was watching some synchronised swimming. Never done that before. But I wanted to praise those swimmers. That was incredible. You know, what they do underwater that long, that synchronised, blew my mind. There's, there's always kind of some reason to praise, though. We don't praise just because. We don't just walk down the street and go, I praise you, I praise you. We have a reason for praising someone. So we read headlines like, doctors praised his bravery, or voters should know who to praise or who to blame for local spending decisions. Or my personal favourite, Wales fans have praised the team's heroics at Euro 2016. Uh, Cardiff boy. Uh, There are reasons for each of these praises, and they differ depending on who the recipient of our praise is. We praise all sorts of different people, whether they be Olympians. We praise uh, doctors, nurses, teachers. In my case, I praise my students when I'm teaching at the UEA. I praise colleagues. I may praise employees, partners. And, of course, hopefully, we praise children as well and help them with our praise. In faith-based contexts, though, it's a little bit different. The Oxford English Dictionary considers that in the, in the religious senses of the word, it means an expression of admiration, respect, gratitude, the acknowledgement of glory and honour performed as an act of worship, end quote. There's three key things there, admiration, respect, and gratitude. And these account for why we praise a lot of different people. We admire them or some aspect of their character or their behaviour. We may have respect for them, possibly their expertise in a particular field. We may be really grateful for something that someone's done, and that's why we praise them. But these words, admiration, respect, and gratitude, are very dignified, very formal, very very composed-sounding words. But the expression of those feelings doesn't actually need to be so formal, composed, very dignified kind of way of doing it. It comes down to the context and also the relationship we have with the one that we're praising. As for the acknowledgement of glory and honour, well, those of you who grew up in Sunday schools may remember the wonderful song, Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Just me, really? Thank you, thank you, Margaret. I appreciate that. Okay. So I've, got, I've developed a bit of a reputation at the UEA as being the singing lecturer because I burst out into song every so often, but um, it's okay, I rarely make people take part. <laughs> but it's this praise stuff that Psalm 117 gets right to the heart of. It reminds us of some really simple, glorious truths and actually just points us squarely back to who God is and why we are so blessed to have a relationship with him. Can we reread the passage? Adam, can I see Psalm 117, please? Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Can we just keep that up, please, Adam, as, as we go through the next bit? Now, we don't know who the author of this psalm was. We don't know exactly when it was written. We do know it's somewhere maybe 700 BC, give or take. Somewhere maybe as early as the mid-900s BC, maybe as late as around 540. But the fact that we don't know the exact circumstances of when this psalm was written, in some ways makes it easier to see it as universally applicable. 
There's, there's no obvious limitation. What we also know is that Psalm 117 is really important in Judaism. And it has been so for at least 2,000 years. It's the fifth psalm of the uh, Egyptian Hallel, or uh, Pesach Hallel. And it's recited at major Jewish festivals like Passover. Particularly Passover is actually when they use this one quite a bit, because Passover is, is when, as recorded in Exodus 3, the Jews celebrate uh, that they were liberated from Egypt, uh, spared a plague uh, on the firstborn sons by the angel passing over their homes marked with lamb's blood. Now, Psalm 113 and 114 uh, are read before the Passover meal, and Psalms 115 to 118, so the one after this, uh, are read at its conclusion. And here's how it builds up. It builds up quite nicely. You've got Psalm 113, which focuses on uh, kind of the incomparable nature of God. Psalm 114 looks back to the Exodus and how God freed the Israelites from slavery. Psalm 115 looks at the present situation, as it was written, of the Israelites. And it contrasts their relationship with God to the idol worship of those people around them. Psalm 116 is a bit more personal, but it has a bit of a a personal thanksgiving which parallels the Israelites' uh, rescue from Egypt. And it includes a bit of a pledge to God going forward. Skipping over 117 for a moment... I'm going to hope this is off. Uh, Psalm 118 looks forward to the eschaton, the divinely ordained climax of the Exodus. It's a, it's a victory hymn, Psalm 118. It's worshipping and thanking God for his, for his faithfulness eternally. It means that 117 is left as this beautiful kind of peak of the Hallel. It's regarded as the memorable thought, if you will. It follows the same basic structure of many of the other psalms. So we've got an invitation to praise. We've then got a reason to praise. And then a conclusion, in this case, actually praising God itself. It's an incredibly upbeat psalm. And it's got an incredibly upbeat message. It's a call to action. And it's not born out of fear or frustration. But it's based on a glorious truth which demands a response. Now, I've mentioned about the fact that there are at least seven different Hebrew words that are sometimes translated as the word praise in English. And two of these are used in Psalm 117. The same one at the beginning and the end, and the one that the NIV translates as extol in the second line. Now, I must say, there is a time and a place in Scripture for all of these types of praise. The words for praise may refer to reverence, it may refer to uh, extending or lifting hands, it may be about openly declaring or admitting truth, the words for praise might be more about kneeling, blessing God as an act of adoration, or they might be about uh, bowing down in worshipful attitude. Some words for praise are specifically about using music and using songs or musical instruments. Or even a rejoicing celebration, a kind of a festival. But none of those meanings are the ones that are used here. So what are we talking about? Well, the one at the very beginning, the very first word, is from the root holal. And this is, this is when I say holal, I must make it clear, this is the Hebrew word holal, not the Arabic word halal, which is uh, 
used to mean um, lawful. The Hebrew word halal is about shining. That's one meaning. The other meaning is about praising, boasting, celebrating, raving, if you like. In fact, one definition says it means to be clamorously or noisily foolish. Love that phrase. Essentially, this is about abandoning our self-conscious nature and just being consumed with expressing our praise to God. The root of the word right at the beginning of this psalm is about praising the Lord. Celebrate, boast, rave about it. In between the uses of this word is this wonderful word uh, that we translate as extol here, in other translations it's praise. And it's from the root of the Hebrew word shorbach, which means to commend. But that doesn't really capture it. When you look into a little bit more, it properly refers to the use of loudness. And it means to lift up and demonstrate adoration by shouting. It's sometimes translated as the word to laud, L-A-U-D, not L-O-R-D, lording over somebody. But to laud, to celebrate so that everyone can hear. So neither of the words used in this psalm can be taken as being about quiet reverence. These particular words are about going big, going loud, Olympic or maybe even Welsh Euro 2016 style celebration. And then more so. There's clearly a time and a place for the quiet reverence, for the songs, for the hymns and so on. For humbly bowing down before God. But those are mentioned in other places. Here, there is this explicit aim of going loud, of going, let's make sure people know about this. And it's actually quite a challenge to think about this, because, frankly, my neighbours knew exactly what I was thinking when Wales was scoring goals in Euro 2016. They knew exactly that I was celebrating, I was going nuts. But am I as loud in praising God? Now, it's very dangerous to assume that everything in Scripture can be interpreted as literal interpretation for all of us. But we can do that here because of what comes in the passage. Reading this as a a Gentile, as a a non-Jew, this beautifully and wonderfully makes it clear that God is not just for those born into the Jewish faith. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. This is not just for one group. Interestingly, this command, this, this call, couldn't have, actually been, uh, couldn't have actually been applied in Old Testament times because at no point was this call given to any non-Jewish nations in a language they would have understood. They would have needed to have become Jews. So the command relates to the time still to come when in Christ the Jew-Gentile division would be dissolved and both would come together as co-heirs of God's promise. This is looking to Ephesians 3, verse 6. This psalm can also be seen to be looking forward even further than that, to the time that gets expanded on in the next psalm, in 118, when Jesus returns to reign. Now, it's important to remember that the Jews didn't have more love from God, just particular understanding, more light in a particular way. Paul, when he's writing to the church in Rome, this is Romans 15.11, this is about 54 AD, so we're coming forward quite a few hundred years, he quotes Psalm 117 uh, as evidence that the reasons to praise God 
are applicable to both Jews and non-Jews alike. And John 3.16, of course, tells us that God so loved the world, not just one small part of it. The great commission Jesus gave, as recorded at the end of Matthew, says, go and make disciples of all nations. It's not for us to write off any nation, no matter what they do. It's also worth considering the fact that there are these two separate terms here. We've got nations and peoples. So it's a call for nations, for leaders and governments to recognise the kingship of God and praise him. Solutions are not to be found in rooting societies in humanism, in secularism or atheism, but they're to be found in God. It's also for the people of those nations to turn. And this idea of expanding praise beyond just the people of Israel is really quite poignant and certainly would be for the people hearing this. There's wonderful, one writer suggests that God's magnificence is simply too great for just the people of Israel alone to praise it. I quite like that thought. So if that's the what and the who, let's think about the why. We're thinking about praise, we think about what praise means, we're thinking about who should do it, well, it's all of us. So verse 2 explains the why. And it gives two reasons which effectively condense the themes that were raised in the previous two Psalms, 115 and 116. It says, For great is his love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. These are two of the characteristics that God used to describe himself to Moses in Exodus 34. The word translated as love is, uh, is chazdo, or chasto, and this particular form means loving kindness, or mercy, or his merciful covenant. It's effectively the Old Testament equivalent of of the New Testament word for grace. The Israelites already understood that God's forgiveness was immense, that they had defied him and he had forgiven them. But the ultimate sign of that loving, merciful kindness was the promise of the Messiah, the one who would come and save humanity. As we've already touched on earlier through Will, no matter how seemingly big or small, Each act of of selfishness, of misleading, of mistreating others, of prioritising other people's, our interests above God's, they're all reminders that we, collectively and as individuals, have set God aside and gone our own way. But this is the really cool bit, because God, in his loving kindness, offers reconciliation. Jesus, the perfect son of God, would become sin. All of that rebellion put on him as he was persecuted and killed at the hands of humankind. But the story doesn't end there because he was brought back to life in the greatest demonstration of power that the world has ever seen. And so that, in the most astonishing act of loving kindness, we're told that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.9. It's really simple. Except that to say that Jesus is Lord is an incredibly difficult thing to do. To acknowledge that we need forgiveness and accept him as saviour. To put Christ above ourselves. But when we consider that we can now face eternal life rather than eternal damnation, what other reaction is appropriate? So that's the first part of verse 2, his love, 
his loving kindness, his loving mercy. But the second part, the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever, this comes from a different Hebrew word. This comes from the word emeth, which is uh, the endlessness of God's truth, which is translated here as faithfulness. The endlessness of God's truth. I think that's kind of a nicer way of, if you like, of putting this, but it does need some explanation. God is truth. His character is unshakable. The Israelites understood this. They reflected on where God had brought them from and where he was taking them, and they understood that God is faithful. He kept his commandment, promises, right from from Abraham, that he would have many descendants, and that through all of those descendants... Through Abra- from Abraham, we would end up with all nations of the world being blessed. And more than that, he would be their God. But this is not mercy at the expense of truth, nor is it truth at the expense of mercy. God reconciles the two. His promises don't change through the ages. He's the source of all truth. He guides us into truth. He is truth. The final standard of truth. If we want truth, and if we look in the newspapers and we talk to people around us, people are striving and crying out for truth. If we want truth, we find it in him. And through faith, the Bible tells us that we can become co-heirs in that promise made to Abraham. The ultimate victory. The ultimate inheritance. God's inherent truth and his promises in the Bible, give us an assured hope. He's faithful to forgive us when we confess our sin. That's in 1 John. He is faithful to prepare an eternal home for us, to set us free from guilt, to be a strong shelter in times of trouble, and a comfort when we mourn. To guide us through his word and walk with us through his Holy Spirit. To provide for us and give us peace. He is eternally faithful, or more literally, the truth of the Lord endures forever. He's the same yesterday, today, and always. Matthew Henry, the great minister and Bible commentator, put it in this beautiful way. He said, God's mercy is the fountain of all our comforts, and his truth the foundation of all our hopes. And therefore, for both, we must praise the Lord. The conclusion of this psalm, the last three words, is the actual cry of praise, and you'll probably be familiar with it. This is actually hallelujah. So here's the challenge. When and why do we praise God, if at all? The things that Psalm 117 refers to as reasons to praise God are not just limited to when things are going well. There is nothing in that that says only praise God because of stuff that's good that's going on in your life. We're to praise God in some form or other at all times. Adam, can we have the the, the reference for Psalm 34, please? If you'd like to turn with me, just back a few Psalms, just back to uh, Psalm 34, verses 1 to 8. This is a lovely little bit that helps contextualise what we've been talking about tonight. So page 561 in the Church Bibles. So Psalm 34 says... I will extol. This is, this is a different word for extol. This is borak. This is to kneel, to bless. I will kneel. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise. This is a different word again. This is tehillo, uh, which is songs of praise. So songs of praise to him will always be on my lips. 
My soul will boast in the Lord. This is the halal word again. My soul will boast in the Lord. Have you ever heard someone boast and be quiet about it? Generally people are loud when they're boasting. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. There are many situations in life that feel very hard to then turn around and praise God. When I met my wife, Rebecca, she was going through about 10 years of difficulties with osteoarthritis. And she was in pain constantly. That's not an easy thing to then be turning around and praising God in the midst of that. We often have situations where we lose people in our lives that mean a lot to us. We can have situations where we look at the news and see that, actually, how can I praise God when there are children dying of various diseases? How can I praise God when there are some brutal circumstances going on? But that's not about this. In fact, I'm also not talking about those times when it's hard to praise God, like when you've been cut up on the A11, and you're kind of thinking... I just, I just want to have a go at that guy. I'm not thinking about God at all. I'm not talking about our reaction to all circumstances. I'm talking about our attitude in all circumstances. And that's a key difference. We're going to take a few minutes to, to think this over before I wrap up and, uh, and hand on to, to Margaret to come and give us some prayers. But just want to give you two questions to very quickly have a chat with the person next to you about. So... I've called this process time, so this is what I do with my students at the UEA. I do apologise for bringing this in. But it seems to work sometimes. The first question is this. When was the last time I praised someone, and what was it for? You can do this by yourself, or turn to the person next to you and have a chat about this. When was the last time I praised somebody, and what was it for? Because thinking about this carefully, we do praise people. But surely by comparison to God's love and faithfulness, whatever I praise people for, I've got so much more of a reason to be praising God. Just for the record, I'm not saying we shouldn't praise people. (laughs) We praise people, but we then need to praise God that much more. And the second question is this. When and why do I praise God if I do it at all? Just going to give you just two minutes. Um, Sam, would you mind just playing a bit of background thing? Just take two minutes, and then I'll pop back up, and we'll have a closing thought. And uh, just... Chat with the person next to you. See what you think.
Sorry, I'm, I, I'm keen for you to keep those conversations going afterwards. Please do. But I just wanted to kind of finish with a few final thoughts. Bang in the middle of the Bible, Psalm 117 says a huge amount in just a few short words. And the point is this. Praise the Lord. What a blessing that God kept it simple for us. Just a heartfelt acknowledgement that God's Son, Jesus, is your Lord and Saviour. Believing that he died and that God raised him back to life. That through his sacrifice, you can be forgiven of all your sins. And knowing that he is faithful to forgive your sins when you ask. If that's where you're at for the first time tonight, please don't disappear without coming and talking to to myself or to Will. We'd love to help you on that journey. But if you do know that, if you do know these wonderful truths of Psalm 117, of God's loving mercy and his eternal faithfulness, then let's praise. Let's really praise. In every sense of the word, the reverent, respectful praise, the singing with songs, the singing with instruments, the shouting loud so the world can hear, so that people next week, wherever you go, will be able to know that you are praising him. Let's celebrate and go loud and thank him for who he is and what he's done. As we close, if you're in the place to do this, please join with me in proclaiming aloud for the world to hear Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love towards us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Or as they say in Hebrew, Hallelujah!